This afternoon we will be looking at Baptist Catechism questions 78 through 79. Also we will read from Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Question 78 of our Catechism asks, Which is the Eighth Commandment? Repeat now after me. The Eighth Commandment is... Thou shalt not steal. Please listen to question 79 and the answer. What is required in the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment requireth the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. The scripture reading is Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. And here Paul writes to the Ephesians saying, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. This now the reading of God's most holy word. May He add His blessing to the preaching of it this afternoon. Some time ago, I was considering the question, Is it right to earn a living by gambling? Have you ever considered that question? Is it right to earn a living by gambling? And this is probably a bigger issue than we realize in our day and age. The internet has made it possible for men and women to gamble in the privacy of their own homes. And many in our society do devote substantial time to this. Some even seek to earn a living through gambling, be it online or in person. And so the question that was on my mind, and was on my mind just the other day, again, is, is it right to earn a living by gambling? Most arguments that I've heard against gambling are based upon the premise that gambling is not good because it is not good for the gambler or his family. And that argument may be successful if brought against the gambler who is reckless, who gambles away his retirement or the family's grocery money, right? Gambling is bad because of uh, what it does to, to you and to your family. You, you see, you, you gamble away all of your money. But what about the gambler who is careful? What are we to say about the successful gambler, the one who prospers through gambling? It's hard to make that argument against that one, right? Uh, uh, you know, you've, you've, you've gambled away your mortgage payment, uh, so, so it's bad. Well, it doesn't really stick uh, to the gambler who is careful and who is successful. What are we to say to the one who prospers through gambling? Is it right to gamble so long as the gambler is careful that is not exceedingly impulsive or, or reckless? And to be clear, when I say gamble, I'm not using the word as a synonym for risk. Life always involves taking risks, doesn't it? Every day we take risks. So, 
we use the word gamble in that way, I guess we might say we're all gamblers, right? We, we gamble every day. Well, uh, of course, that's not what I mean. Uh, every businessman takes risks. Starting this church 10 years ago, which has been on my mind as of late as we approach our 10-year anniversary, that involved risk. But when I speak of gambling, I'm referring to the risk of money and playing games of chance and or skill with the hopes of taking money from others in the process. Is that activity right? Is it right for anyone? And even more specifically, is it right for Christians to engage in this kind of activity? And it is true, the Bible does not explicitly forbid gambling. And that is why when biblicists, that is, those who believe that in order for something to be biblical, a verse has to be found which explicitly says this or that. Now, how biblicists maintain their belief in the Trinity, I, I do not know. Um, but when a biblicist is arguing against gambling, uh, they oftentimes will present that passage where the soldiers gambled for Jesus' clothes after he was crucified. Have you ever heard that verse cited as a, as a text to oppose gambling? And I guess the rationale is this. See, the soldiers gambled for Jesus' garments. The soldiers were doing something very wicked, therefore gambling is bad. But we are not biblicists, are we, brothers and sisters? We are biblical but we are not biblicists. We understand that the Bible communicates truth not only explicitly, that is by explicitly stating this or that, but through necessary consequence. In other words, some things must regard, be regarded as true because of what the Bible explicitly says in other places. For example, the Scriptures teach that there is only one God, and yet... The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are called God. Therefore, God must be triune. The Bible never says God is triune, but what the Bible says about God demands that we believe God is triune. This is, this is how the Scriptures communicate truth to us. So we must be careful to not fall into the air of the biblicist to say, I've got to find a verse that says this or that if I'm going to believe this or that. No, we have to carefully study the Scriptures and sometimes we... We take all that the Scriptures say and we come to certain conclusions. And so it is with gambling. The Bible never says, Thou shalt not gamble. But it does have other things to say about how we are to go about procuring wealth and how we are to respect and even promote the wealth of others. And when these clear and explicit teachings are considered, it becomes clear that gambling is a sin. It is not the right way for us to increase our wealth. Two passages are particularly helpful. One we have already read, Ephesians 4.28. It says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Did you hear that text? Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. This is the standard for the Christian. In fact, it is a standard for all people, but particularly the Christian. How are we to go about increasing our wealth? How are we to go about increasing our wealth and our possessions? Now, putting aside um, the, the, the issue of receiving gifts, which is... A valid way to increase wealth as well. Putting that aside, we are to labor. We are to work. We are to use the gifts that God has given to us 
physical gifts and mental gifts to earn a living. We are to toil. And in fact, the text does not only say that we are to work, but that we are to do what kind of work? Honest work. Honest work. So we must admit that not all work is honest work. Let that sink in for just a moment. Not all work is honest work. I'm sure you realize that there are some very skilled and hard-working people in the world who make lots and lots of money doing dishonest things. God's standard for procuring wealth is not only that we work, that we labor, but that we do honest work. That is how we are to increase our wealth. And, and what is honest work? Well, though more can be said, let me say two things. Most obviously it is work that is not inherently sinful. There are some who work very, very hard at extorting others, for example. You know, very smart people, hardworking, diligent people. They might work 20 hours a day, you know. And what do they do? They extort people. This is not honest work, for the work itself is a violation of God's law. And secondly, honest work is work that not only takes, but gives. Honest work is work that not only takes, but gives. Think of that for a moment. The scriptures teach that the laborer deserves his wages. And this is the nature of honest work. Honest service is rendered, and a fair and honest wage is given in return. There are so many different types of, of work out there. Uh, this takes many forms, but I think this is a feature of honest work. Honest service is rendered, and a fair and honest wage is given in return. There are many kinds of work out there, but I think this must be a characteristic of it if it is to be honest work. The gambler may work very hard at his gambling. He may even have the skill to prosper in it, but that does not change the fact that his work is not honest. For when he gambles, his objective is only to take, but never to give. Isn't that the objective of the gambler? To sit down with a group of people, be it physically or virtually, and to take, but never to give. And this is why when gamblers stand up to walk away from the table, most of them walk away disappointed. They walk away not with a smile on their face, but with a frown. For they have lost, and they've received nothing. Paul says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And so you see that Paul's position... Excuse me. So you see that Paul's positive instructions concerning the procurement of wealth through honest work are rooted in the eighth of the Ten Commandments. Let the thief no longer steal, he says, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And in fact, there's just simply a contrast here. Christian, do not violate the eighth commandment which forbids thievery. Instead, do this. Do the positive thing that the Eighth Commandment requires. Labor with your own hands. Increase your wealth in that way. Do honest work. Render a service and be compensated for it. So gambling is forbidden in the Scriptures because it falls short of the standard of procuring wealth through honest work. 
And it is also a violation of the Eighth Commandment, which says, Thou shalt not steal. Though the gambler may exert a great deal of effort in his gambling, gambling is not work, properly speaking, for it does not provide a service, it only takes. Properly speaking, gambling is theft. It is consensual theft. That is what gambling is. When gamblers sit down around the table, either physically or virtually, they are agreeing to do their very best to steal from one another. That is what they are doing. It is consensual theft. It's a group of people sitting around saying, I'm going to use all of the mental capacities that God has given me to take from you. To take from you. Gambling is theft. The objective is to take, but never to give. And that is what thieves do. They wish to take, but not to give. So why have I camped on the subject of gambling? This probably seems like such a strange sermon to you. Why go there, Pastor? Well, because it's been on my mind, for one. But also to give you an example of how these Ten Commandments that we are studying are to be applied in the realm of ethics. You see, Ten Commandments themselves are very simple, aren't they? Very simple. But we are learning, we have been learning, and we'll continue to learn that we're to take these principles and we're to apply them to the heart, we're to apply them to thought, word, and to, and to deed, we're to see what they necessarily require and forbid of us. Our catechism is a great help in all of this. Thou shalt not steal. Clearly this forbids things like putting a piece of candy in your pocket and walking out of the store without paying for it. That's the most obvious application, I guess, of the Eighth Commandment. Don't take things that don't belong to you. And don't steal things, walking out of the store without paying for it. But the law of God is to be applied more deeply than this. And the passage from Ephesians 4 illustrates it. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now let us briefly consider Baptist Catechism 79, what is required in the Eighth Commandment. The Eighth Commandment requires the lawful procuring and furthering the wealth and outward estate of ourselves and others. I want you to notice three things about the answer. One, the word lawful is significant. It means that we are to procure or obtain wealth in lawful ways. We must not break the laws of the land nor the laws of God to get wealth. That's off limits. We cannot gain wealth in that way. Two, our catechism teaches that the Eighth Commandment requires us to procure and further our own wealth and and our own outward estate. Isn't that interesting? We are to... Further, our own wealth and outward estate. This might sound strange to you, but it's true. Yes, the Scriptures do warn against the love of money. And yes, they also warn against trusting in riches and, and instead of the Lord. But the Scriptures also command us to use our treasures for the good of others and the glory of God. You should work hard, brothers and sisters, if you are able. And you should seek to advance your outward estate. As you do, you must be on the guard against covetousness, be on the guard against discontentment, but also be on guard against complacency. You must know that the Lord can use your wealth for the furtherance of His kingdom. And so we must not be like that wicked servant in the parable who took the talent, and a talent was a sum of money, that the Lord had given to him and he buried it out of fear of losing it. You remember that wicked servant, you know? Instead, we are to be like the ones who were given five and two talents. They invested them and made an increase for their master. So, I think the meaning is this. We are to live fruitful life to the glory of God. And this applies even to the realm of finances. If we are able 
to advance our wealth and our outward estate through good and honest work or wise investments, then we should. We should. To the glory of God. Three, our catechism is right to say that the Eighth Commandment requires us to seek the procuring and furthering of the wealth of others too. Okay, so not only are we to not steal, but we are to seek to advance ourselves if God gives us the ability to do so or to do so in a lawful way. But we should also be concerned to seek others prosper, our neighbors prosper, our family and friends, our church, fellow church members, our, our, our state and our nation. We should be eager to see everyone prosper. And this is what will happen, generally speaking, in societies where men and women are left free to exchange goods and services and are honest in their dealings with one another. Everyone's wealth, generally speaking, will tend to increase. But where there is injustice, where there is favoritism, greed, and dishonesty, the powerful, rich, and well-connected will tend to prosper, whereas the weak and marginalized, marginalized in society will tend to languish. It is a grave mistake to assume that economics is a zero-sum game. In other words, it is a mistake to assume that when one person increases in wealth, that others must decrease, as if there are always winners and losers. I think this is counter to the, to the law of God. Or to state it another way, it is wrong to think that for a person to increase in wealth, it will require him to take from others and to oppress them. Yes, this is how things go with gambling and thievery. But in fact, it is possible to pursue an increase in your own wealth and to simultaneously seek the increase of the wealth of others too. So as I move now toward the conclusion, let me ask, how might the Christian apply the Eighth Commandment? And here are some very brief suggestions. Employers, I ask you, are you compensating your workers fairly? Are you compensating them fairly? Businessmen and women, are you providing quality goods and services to your customers so that they are getting what they paid for? Employees, are you giving your employers an honest day's work? They're paying you for it. Are you giving them an honest day's work? Citizens, are you paying taxes to whom taxes are owed? Friends, do you return things that you borrow in a timely manner? Herman Bovink mentions this in his book on ethics. And then he adds this little remark, for instance, books. <laughs> Only a theologian would write in that way. You know, that was on the forefront of his mind. I wonder who it was that didn't return the book they borrowed. Someone. And he was a little miffed by it, I guess. Brothers and sisters, are you working hard during the week and resting on the Sabbath day? And are you managing your money well to the glory of God? Little children, do you take things that don't belong to you? I hope the answer is no. This is the most basic application of the Eighth Commandment. Don't take what isn't rightfully yours. And we should learn that lesson when we are young. It is a sin to get into the teacher's candy jar when she isn't looking, for example, or to steal from the grocery store. But it is the same principle that is to be applied to the whole of life. So let us be sure to keep the Eighth Commandment maturely as adults. And finally, if I were to ask you this question, brothers and sisters, have you kept this law perfectly? You would have to say, no, we have violated this law 
in thought, in word, and in deed. Uh, brothers and sisters, we must keep this always in mind as we consider God's law. We're to strive to keep it, but we have not kept it perfectly so. We stand guilty before God, therefore, but we, thank, we, we give thanks to God for Christ Jesus, who lived and died and rose again so that our sins might be forgiven. And so I'll ask you by way of conclusion, what is required in the Eighth Commandment? The Eighth Commandment requireth, now repeat after me, the lawful procuring, the lawful procuring and, furthering the wealth, and furthering the wealth and outward estate, and outward estate of ourselves and others. Let's bow together for prayer. Father in heaven, the scriptures call us to be holy just as you are holy. Of course, we know this is a standard we cannot meet, but I do pray that you would put it into our hearts to strive to meet that standard. But may we strive to meet that standard, trusting only in Christ for the forgiveness of sins and trusting only in you, O God, for the strength to, to live in obedience to you. Father, as we study your Ten Commandments and the moral law that they summarize, guard us against legalism, guard us against the sin of self-righteousness, humble us, Lord, by your law. Help us to see how needful Christ is to us. We must run to Him for refuge, but once there, Lord, help us to seek to obey you out of gratitude for all that you have done. As it pertains to this Eighth Commandment, Lord, help us to be diligent in our work, Help us to be careful with the money that you have given to us. Help us to be mindful of those around us that we would seek to increase the wealth of others also. Father, help us with all of these commandments to apply them to the whole of life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.